it's unknown. This CR Flounder Podcast. Wishing you nothing but. Peace and love. And welcome to the Art of Floundering podcast in episode 6 in our Countdown to Soon series where we document life following my traumatic accident in 2016. Tonight's episode is titled, Don't Call This a Comeback. And it represents a, a pretty short block of time but it felt a lot longer and that's a good thing as a reminder when i closed out episode four we had a deviation in episode five but at the conclusion of episode four i was at one of those cross points i thought i could either leave all of this and go to the great beyond with uh it's no big deal we're not gonna blame you if i did that that was the vibe i was getting or perhaps have the the guts to hang in there and push through this and see if there's something on the other side that'll make all this pain worth it. So I decided to hang in there. But I was still in bad shape. I was unable to sit. I was unable to walk. And I was unable to go to work. I was to the point now where I was quickly going through all of my retirement to maintain my house, uh, all the medical bills. I have no income coming in. And now child support because my daughter moved in with her mom because she, she got angry enough with me and didn't want to stay. So that was the as a stay when I decided it's time to get out of this. I was in horrendous pain. I uh, was almost completely broke and at that the rate things were going I would be on I would be foreclosed on everything no medical insurance about seven months unless some miracle happened I had about seven months of my retirement left and uh so that was the as is day my daughter hates me I lost my workman's comp case my doctor is telling me that um I just need to keep doing PT. They're not seeing anything that could be causing what's going through. Maybe, just maybe, the muscles still need to stretch. This is what I was getting. So, in parallel to this, I I decided... at this time, I was I was taking all kinds of medication, but you know I don't remember the exact fentanyl patch dosage. It was at least a hundred milligram, and it was every forty eight hours plus eight oxy instant release, uh, thirty milligrams, which at the time was like the strongest like instant release pill form you could get, and it eventually was eight a day. But we got to the point, got we couldn't go any higher, and you know. I'd get rushed into the ER for something. They they give me a shot of morphine. Man, it was like nothing. So and my pain was still through the roof. So I decided, well, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna clean my system out. 
I want to remind you, I wasn't addicted, but this was a physical tolerance. I just wanted to get them all out of my system and, and get a baseline. So, you know, my, my good buddy doctor had, had uh, you know, retired, sort of. But I also knew another one who could help me out. And he was a, he was a psychiatrist. He was a behavioral management. And he was he was dealing with my pain. And I said, it's time to get off all the, all the opiates. They're not working. I'd like to, you know, so we... We started doing Suboxone like right then and there, and I've talked about it in the past. And he and I was on Suboxone for quite a while because he was like, "Look, dude, you you are fucked up. You are always going to need something, right?" Is what he was telling me. And 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 I mentioned to him, and I said, "I understand that. However, you know, I I don't like jumping through these hoops uh, to get Suboxone, and I get all this attitude." You know, and I got a, you know, one jacked up back, but, you know, they're, they're treating me like, you know, blah, blah, blah. So he goes, well, you're going to have to get over that. But he also mentioned medical marijuana. And it's funny now, but my attitude about marijuana was I wasn't anti-marijuana. Between the Marines and the piss tests I had to deal with in the private sector. And, you know, the fucking government gig, you know, fucking bullshit. It just was always off my radar, you know. And, you know, the last time I had done it was unpleasant. So it wasn't really something I was like Jones in the dough. Um, and plus, I had quit drinking. And I had kind of bought into that 12-step stuff they were telling me. That, ooh, marijuana, man, that's not sober. You'll be drinking right away. So I was worried marijuana would lead me to wanting to, you know, drink again. And then, like, you know... Start Start taking pills to get high, not not for pain, right? This kind of thing. Um, and so the the shrink goes, look, man. He goes, you know, I've read all the research. He goes, he goes, I think he goes. He tells me he thinks it'll help. And so the dude paid for the marijuana card. So, as I got all the crap out of my system, I started smoking weed. And this is what weed did for me. My pain didn't go away. But I started not giving a shit. I also started not caring about the fact my company hated me. I started, and that's... That's a 180 for me because a lot of my self-worth before the accident was not only put into my career, my position, but how I was viewed at work. If I wasn't viewed in good esteem at work, that was that would make me feel bad about myself. And at this time, I was not viewed in good esteem, well at all. I was not held in high regard. I was viewed as a shitbird, and that hurt my feelings, man. I'm being, I'm serious because I loved. Uh, you know, despite the fact how fucked up things got towards the end, that had nothing to do with the people I worked with for decades, man. And I, we did a lot of good work, and I loved those. I loved the people I worked with, and I really recognized just how deeply I loved them when I was away, you know, and how fortunate I was to have worked with such fucking amazing people all these years, right? It just, being away that long, was like, fuck, these are some really great people. Really just the best, man. And while, you know, they they kept their hands off, when I returned, with the exception of, like, one or two in senior management, everybody was just wonderful to me. But also, those one or two in senior management limits the extent and I get it I was on the outs but weed made me okay with that you want to know what else it did I, I, I started just going okay fuck it if I go broke I go broke I'm doing the best I can 
If I can't go back to work, I can't go back to work. You know, you know, I'm a guy who is doing the right thing and gets in an accident and does this to him. You know, there's got to be some 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 job or something else I can do if it gets that bad. I, I just, you know, I just started not caring. And I focused also on not playing the victim anymore. The thing with my daughter, you know, instead of obsessing on, did my did my ex-wife say something because she went down there and we were best friends and, you know, for Thanksgiving comes back. Next thing I know, I'm the biggest piece of shit under the sun, you know. Instead of doing that, take a look at my behavior, you know, my role, and it wasn't fun. And start owning this shit, right? Instead of, ah, you know, I lost workman's comp, the company looks at me like dog shit. I was like, you know what, I'll, I'll get... If I can return to work, I'll get strong enough. I'll work my way out of that. Just like before. Because I'm smart and da-da-da. So, you know, I just motivated myself. But the weed helped me not give a shit. And I started doing yoga. But I also, at this gym, had this recumbent exercise site. And I was able to sort of get in it at the most reclined level. And I would pedal that thing for hours. Hours every day to the point of exhaustion till I would collapse eventually I was able to get to the point of something pretty unexpected by May of 2018 I was able to up until that point it was constant pain now I didn't have pain when I was laying down I didn't I could sit and I didn't have pain when I sat and while I could walk unassisted for about five to ten yards but with one of those rollers not a problem I, I could function that's where I was at the pain was horrific but I can be out of it sitting or laying down which meant I can go back to work and that I was able to return to work and by the time I returned to work I recognized something I recognized this before I went in and I was at peace with this before the weed I recognized something I chose to play this game I chose to go into senior management. I knew exactly the kinds of things that senior management do, does for the good of the organization. I have done things that hurt people but protected the organization in my past. So I got a raw deal, but it's the blood sport, so to say, I chose to play in. So I made peace with the fact that I got, you know, I didn't succeed. And I made peace with the fact that I went from being held in high regard to a potential financial liability that needs to be properly managed, watched. I remember I sat down with, this is before I decided to medically retire, with somebody I had been working Working with for 15 years. I thought we were friends. We're having a conversation in his office. He goes, hey, are you recording this? I'm like, you think I'm this, but this is what it, this is, everybody was on edge. You know, what am I going to do? You know, be careful around him because he might be doing this. And so, you know, everybody was stiff the way they acted around me. The inner, you know, I wasn't given anything to do. And keep in mind, you know, I was in a position, I was in a senior management position that was very well compensated I was expected to produce man even in government service especially this one they gave me nothing there, there was some busy work they gave me you know something that would take me 10 seconds to do hey you know can you get this and I don't know, get back to you know I under I recognized 
within the first hour of, quote, returning to work, that the situation was, they were not going to give me anything, and they were just going to see if I fuck up. And I was like, okay, all I, you know, all I'm being expected to do is, like, show up and not, you know, act out. Because I think that's what they were on guard for, you know. But who knows? But I made peace with that because of the weed and the not giving a shit. I said, okay, I'm going to make this work, you know. Okay, they're, they're, they're going to pay me this money. I'm going to be able to, you know, you know, put, hopefully put back into retirement, you know, put my kid through college. And, uh, you know, sure, I lost a shitload, but you know what? I'll probably die working as it is anyway. At least I'll be able to take care of my daughter and my responsibilities and, you know, have medical insurance. And I thought I can figure out something else I can do. I was actively thinking, okay, I, you know, I thought I was going to continue to get better. I didn't think I'd walk unassisted again, but I thought I'd be able to handle this. So there's other areas in my organization I can go to. And so I thought, you know, maybe I'll go to Washington, D.C. I was thinking about that. Going to Washington, D.C. And I thought, fuck it, you know. You know, I was a different person than I am now. It was delusional still. This was during this renaissance period. A couple things that really have. I have this guitar. It's a Cordoba Gypsy King Pro. And, um, you know, I've been playing guitar since I was a kid. But the accident, um, what the, the way it impacted me is I was unable to, like, because of the wound and where the injury was, I was always laying on my back. And most of my guitars were too heavy. All my acoustics, everything were too heavy. Beyond that, the neck and stuff, I wasn't... For those of you who play guitar, I can't form bar chords without being in horrific pain anymore. There's certain skill uh, scales that are horrifically painful to play. So I was like, geez, man, this thing's going to rob me of playing guitar. But I had this classic, and it was able, I was able to lay it on my chest. It was light enough. And early on in my renaissance, as I was working on being able to sit up, I'd lay, you know, when I was laying on my back, I'd force myself to, to relearn guitar with my limitations. And I was able to do that. I play guitar totally different now than I played before. It's really weird, man, you know? And so I started being creative again. Um... You know, I was away from people so much, uh, and there were so many people that had helped me uh, get through all this, a lot of them total strangers, um, that when I was able to kind of reemerge in the world, I had a really renewed appreciation. It, like night and day, I went from not wanting to know who the fuck anybody is to getting to know everybody. And, and really getting to know them, listening to them, learning from their experience and stuff. So I became very inquisitive. That creative spark coupled with being away, I just was very drawn to wanting to 
get to know people. And I felt blessed is probably the most accurate term. I felt blessed that I had gotten through this accident to be at the point that I can get to know people. And that's why I started doing a podcast. I thought this would be a great way for me to get to know people. So, hey, I've got a podcast. And we laid out, I had a roommate, Guido. I couldn't live alone. My daughter was in college. And by the way, during this period of time that I started working on getting better, as I started getting better, my relationship with my daughter improved. It was far from perfect. But when I was able to, you know, when her school year started and everything was paid for, I don't know. It, it we we it just I think there was some relaxation like maybe, you know, I won't fuck this one up and she'll have a future and all the things that she was worried about, you know. You know, she really went through a lot with this fucking shit. To go from uh, having a dad that's, you know, imperfect and she knew that, but is, you know, able to do things and take care of shit to all of a sudden, right? can't do hardly anything and you know she saw me falling all over the place man the doctors would over prescribe gabapentin you know she didn't know this she thought oh geez my dad's drunk again or you know this kind of stuff so she went through a lot but I thought okay we were she we were talking and occasionally we'd have lunch I'll tell you a sad story I was able to participate in helping her move into her dorm but I couldn't do that Make matters worse. She was on the second floor. And uh, she, uh, they didn't have an elevator or anything. And I had my stroller. And there was no way I was not going to see her her room. And uh, it was rough, man. But I made it. And, uh, you know, and I didn't feel bad. I was thankful that I, because that was a miracle being able to do that. It hurt like fucking hell, you know, but I was able to do it. Um, and I was thankful, you know, and things were looking up. And where I lived in Norman, it's a vibrant art community, great musicians. And I was able to, uh, you know, get out from time to time. And uh, there was a place, it's called the Blue Bonnet Bar in Norman, Oklahoma. Hands down, the greatest bar ever. And, you know, they had, they're just fucking chill. They love everybody. It's peace love but they would have like uh these great office chairs well they're you know office chairs that are comfortable right and they would hold on to one for me if i tell them i'm coming there i'd be able to sit there listen to fantastic local music and then go out to the back porch and get high and everybody was cool it's great and i'd hang out there as long as my back would hold out maybe two hours on a good night meet really cool people they'd come on a podcast so i figured i was only going to get better my relationship with my daughter is not perfect but she's you know gone from telling me to go f off to she'll answer my phone call and you know um that's that bottom line i had been through a pretty painful and isolating rough patch in life and i did a lot of reflection during that time and when i got through all that to be able to exceed expectations i was just pretty upbeat man you know i remember thinking even if i don't improve man if it doesn't get any better than where i'm at right now this is pretty damn good and i had a real positive 
negative attitude. And it was a it was a it was a great, great time, you know. And I started doing a podcast, started getting a chance to meet really interesting people. Um, even though uh my relationship with my daughter wasn't perfect, we would uh you know, she wouldn't spend holidays or, you know, come see me, but we I can come up to her university and we go out to eat and uh you know, stuff like that. So I was just trying to be consistent and keep working on that, you know. And uh, I was able to get out and do things. I was able to, to see things. And I just, and I think this is reflective, at least I try to make it reflective in the, the quote art that I do. I saw the beauty in all the things I had ignored, man. I had ignored so much in this life. And, you know, neighbors, you know, just everything. And I just had this thought to get to know anybody that was willing to share with me. In fact, that is what this podcast was was originally going to be. It's gonna, we're going to get back to that, but it was just conversations. That's it with an egg because I felt strongly and I feel strongly that everybody has a story, man. And you know, we we see so many you know stories in social media and stuff of this, that, and the other thing. But we have great examples, if not better. It, it, you know in our very neighborhood, you know, at least I thought so, because I was taking the time to open my eyes, man, you know? I actually started to get to know my neighbors. I was thinking about having a block party. It was a great time. I felt alive again, like really alive. And, you know, I uh, figured, okay, as long as I can find a place that allows at a minimum medical marijuana, I will I will spend the next couple years figuring out what I want to do when I grow up. But I could, you know, I was able to avoid what I thought was a disaster. I was able to keep my job. I was able to keep my house, all my, quote, stuff, my medical insurance, and most importantly, my relationship with my daughter. Now, I certainly needed that job because I had exhausted everything that I had to include retirement. In fact, I cashed out a retirement from a private sector company. They offered me an early hour. I cashed it out. I needed it. Pay medical bills so my kids could. I, had, I needed, well, you know, everything. But it went to my kids' college. And I don't regret that decision. I own it all. I should have planned better. These kind of things will wreck you. I don't beat myself up over it. I let my, I let it go. You know, I, I was just like, you know what? I did the best I could. But these kind of things, they just wreck you. They just, they, de- they decimate you financially. And this thing decimated me. But I was still standing. I was still intact. Somehow, I was able to bob and weaving so I was returned to work I started a podcast as I discussed on the, the previous podcast I was able to, to explore dating and, and uh, I honestly thought um at the time that do I have something to offer I thought I did for the first time in my life I did I will never ever 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 be thankful for this accident the things that I've lost are not worth it they're not the trade-offs not worth it any gain that I have is not worth what I lost so if you're to ask me today I am not thankful having said that I am a profoundly different human being. I am far from perfect, and I have my issues. The experience forced me to really examine myself and for the first time ever hold myself accountable. 
at my deepest, darkest mental state, when I tried to crawl out of that darkness, I knew for the first time in my life that I, I couldn't bullshit my way out. I would have to truly forgive someone. I would have to truly let go of things. I would have to truly be humble. And through the process of being forced for the first time to do those things, I believe I became a better person. And at the time, I recall pondering that, yes, I'm batshit crazy. And I have a rather bizarre definition of what marriage looks like. But I also am an acquired taste. And for someone who is equally batshit crazy, I could be a pretty good fit. And I wouldn't be destructive. I would be, I would bring something positive. So it was a good time. Yeah, I was, I was on a high. I, I really, the, between that relationship I have with the Cordoba, the guitar, playing guitar now has become more than just playing guitar because I thought it was also going to be taken from me. And I had to teach myself a different way of playing, you know, with some limitations and da 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 but I can play it and so when I play it it's like my F you to the universe and this whole thing is like I am gonna push back dude and I use a lot of my guitar playing in the podcast and all this kind of stuff probably overdo it but it is my way of internally just saying you're still in this man you figured out how to play this instrument relearn it in a different way and you can still play we're still in the game but that guitar playing in the podcast started opening up something inside me that i had put asleep many many years ago as a kid i wanted i hadn't i had no direction no mentorship no clue but i thought i liked things like i liked national lampoon magazine i liked real dark humor and i love satire but i also loved photography now i'm an old fart so this is black and white 35 millimeter i wanted to do something creative but also you know i also like recognized that you know okay what am i going to do like really but you know i wanted to write i wanted to write about the human condition i wanted to write satire i dug photography i wanted to be do something in the arts something creative i thought about photojournalism i was you know but it was always something but i didn't do any of those things because they were not practical just like i didn't go into education and coach which is another thing i would have loved to have done i would have loved to have spent my years teaching history which is a subject that i love and i'm passionate about and coaching baseball which is a sport that i recall as a kid loving and i used to be pretty good at coaching I mean, I was, you know, I was nice. It wasn't like, but I would, I was a good coach. People would be better players and have fun. I was a good baseball coach. But teachers don't make money. How am I going to really afford anything on a teacher's salary? So I'm not going to do that. Photojournalism, they don't make anything. Being a writer's not safe, you know? What am I going to do with that? I'll be an engineer. And nothing wrong. I don't regret any of my decisions. Because just because I went down that path doesn't mean I couldn't in my free time. But I just shut off the creative side. Especially 
I don't know, I got married. Had nothing to do with, but you know, it was like I had gotten married, bought a new house, and went into a brand new job in government service, all within the same three-month period. It was a whirlwind of life change, so it was a lot to process. But I remember when I first got to Norman, it was a trip. When I first got to Norman, Oklahoma, my goal was I was working in in the private sector on a government contract. And the contract was about a year and a half. And it was pretty sweet. They had a housing allowance. And I my my plan at that time was to work that contract, bank that money, and I was gonna go to law school. And that that was my plan. I wanted to be a patent attorney. That was my douchebag direction, right? That's that was that was that was douchebag plan number one. But at the time, I was dabbling with playing music, you know, on the side and stuff. So I still, you know, you know what I mean. I had like things I was doing. You know, I was active with people and stuff. I had a life. But there was some something that clicked, man. When all that hit, and I I took the government because when I. When I took, when I made the decision to go into government service, and this has nothing to do with my marriage, I made a decision that I'm gonna like go all in and try to climb the ladder quickly, be one of those guys. Um, and I did, by the way, but all because I had the wrong set of priorities. I was insecure, and now I recognize it. You know, at the time, I thought, you know, I'm much smarter than all these people. I don't, I need to be in charge. So, air, I was so arrogant, so arrogant. Um, but that's what I thought. And, uh, you know, I was fortunate because I had good mentors and good people I work with. And I was put in the right opportunities to look good. And I got promoted quickly. Had, had more to do with that. Anything to do with what I did. You know, because there were a lot of good people that I worked with. I wasn't any more spectacular, you know. But it's the time I was one arrogant SOB but I was insecure man and I thought having a bunch of graduate degrees having a you know fancy title would somehow make up for whatever else was lacking inside me that's the truth but I started pursuing that life and I had been in it so long that I got numb to it. And the time away from work while the income wasn't coming in, and that was stressful. The benefits to all the time unable to move on my back during the dark time was all the time to think about what the fuck happened to me, you know? How did I, you know, I, I, I took a look at my situation. I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with this, and I'm all alone here. How did this happen? How did this happen to me? What, what in my behavior, you know, my life choices, and I just recognize that a majority of my life has been fear and insecurity, man. And those two things have led me to run to comfort, to safety, to, to be risk adverse. I thought I was risky, but I really wasn't. I never took a risk on myself, on what my true passions in life were. For whatever reason, I'm not good enough, whatever. I just never did. I'm not talking about wanting to be on Broadway. I'm talking about, you know, just... So, this is not a woe is me, but one of the benefits... I'm not thankful for the accident, but on the upside, I had, I got I got some clarity on that. So I just had a different, you know, attitude with with work. It was I viewed it as you know what I do part time as my my day job, so to speak, was to keep exploring where my head was going with creativity. 
um, I recognized early on I was using it to escape, you know, but um, it was kind of a renaissance, you know, I was like, you know, do I, you know, I'm not saying be an artist, but can I work in the arts? You know, I thought maybe there's something I can do with all my business background to help find a way, um, that somebody can be an artist and that can be their job. They don't have to have a, you know, quote day job. And I, you know, I thought there's, there's, you know, between online stuff and, you know, and I, I started thinking, you know what I could do is um, I can do this podcast. I can work this job, you know, but for fulfillment to feel like I'm helping and really do something, I can help whatever musician and artist needs help. Like if they need to do a live stream or they, you know, and Caleb McGee, who's a phenomenal uh, musician, uh, you know, did two live streams on the podcast. I had a uh, 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 Clint Hardesty, another amazing musician, great story, man, you know, and I, I, I was going to have, uh, you know, uh, Lacey Saunders was lined up, this is all before the fucking wheels fell off of COVID, but, you know, just great, great musicians, and I thought, you know, I, I can I can get better and better at this streaming stuff and you know maybe I can do video editing you know all for free but you know and figure out different quote business models for you know and because you know I, most most of the musicians I run across man they're just not thinking in those terms which is cool but I was willing to do this shit for free because I thought there's ways out there you you can you can do this with the right mixture of things you can do this and create a quote model uh you know repeatable for an artist or musician to be able to spend their days doing what they're passionate about and they can put bread on the table dude you know so that was i was upbeat man upbeat but i got a warning sign in november i was november of 2018 i was doing a podcast episode at my casa and it was a great episode We were talking about Brexit, all kinds of fascinating topics. But I noticed something. About 30 minutes into it, my lower back started acting up. Really, really bad. So, it's not like it is. Not as horrific as it is now. But... I had was up to that point. I had never had any any issues. I had worked myself that hard to sitting, and I was like, "What's this coming from?" And I assumed it was the chair. However, after trying all kinds of different chairs, I made an appointment with my surgeon. I just wanted to make sure that something didn't happen to the fusion. During the appointment, the surgeon told me that my back was indeed fucked up. This was a big change. Normally, he'd be pointing a finger at me, blaming me for something. But this time, his attitude was different. He told me my back was fucked up, but I didn't injure anything. The pain that I was feeling would go away. I would just need to increase the level of PT I was doing. I talked myself into believing this was good news, that the pain I was experiencing wasn't due to a new injury. Therefore, the solution was simple. I would just have to work harder in the gym. I didn't have a crystal ball. I didn't know that the following months would mark the beginning of my descent into this current abyss. At this time, I was blissfully clueless and feeling pretty gosh darn peachy keen about life.
Golly gee whiz, ma. Look at me. Top of the world. Pain free. This concludes episode 5. Don't call this a comeback. In our Countdown to Soon series. On behalf of the Art of Floundering podcast, I want to thank you for listening to this and wish each and every one of you nothing but peace and love. This concludes another episode from the Art of Floundering podcast. We hope that you will like, follow, subscribe, and review. You can find us on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Podbeam, or wherever you download your super-duper peachy keen favorite podcast. On behalf of the Art of Floundering podcast, I want to wish each and every one of you nothing but peace and love. <laughs>